Lord, we would ask that you would give us a time now in learning that would be extraordinary, that you might accompany the preaching of your word and the reading and study of your word by the power of the Spirit, that this would be more than a Bible study, this would be more than a lecture, this would be more than learning, that this would be a time where the Spirit of God brings about conviction where appropriate and comfort where appropriate, and that you would use your word by the power of the Spirit to transform our lives so that we would honor you, that we would understand the gospel, we would understand it more clearly, that we would live for you, that we would die for you with hearts filled with gratitude in light of what you've done for us. Accompany us now as we would seek to study your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans 15. We're nearing the end of our study of Romans I want to begin and end the same way, essentially this morning, talking about guilt, guilt and gratitude. Where there is the removal of the first, guilt, there is gratitude. And really, that's what we're going to focus on this morning as we work our way through this passage. The Apostle Paul understood clearly what it was to have guilt He understood full well, we've learned that in Romans, we learned it all over the place, but we've learned in Romans that he understood full well what it was to be guilty before God, that he was a violator of God's holy commandments, that he had not loved God with his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he had not loved his neighbor as himself. He was a transgressor, to use a synonym. He was a rebel. He was, to use his own words to describe sinners, he was an enemy. Romans 5, he was guilty. Justly guilty. And by God's grace, he's come to understand that Jesus Christ satisfied the just requirements of God. He's come to understand that Jesus Christ in his place, loved the Father with his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's come to understand by the grace of God that Jesus died a perfect, atoning death. He's come to understand that Jesus Christ has risen again from the dead on his behalf. He's come to understand that while he is guilty because of his offenses, he stands before God guiltless. In fact, better than guiltless. He stands before God with the righteousness of Christ, justified, declared righteous. And because of this, he is driven by gratitude. He is grateful. He is grateful and it permeates his thinking. He is grateful and it permeates his living. He is grateful and it permeates his relationships. He is one who's experienced a gospel-induced gratitude. And that's where we're going to begin this morning, and that's where we'll end this morning. And we want to learn from the Apostle Paul. Excuse me. I realize this end section in chapter 15, we're dealing with what's called a historical narrative. 
He's describing what he was going to do and what has happened. And he's talking about real people and real places. And he's talking about himself. He's not teaching timeless truths, so to speak. Nevertheless, it is none other than the Apostle Paul who says, imitate me. In Philippians chapter 3. And so we'll seek to be true to the narrative and the author's intent, but at the same time, by way of principle, we would want to learn from him, to imitate him where we might be able to. And so we'll do that this morning. If you're taking notes, you can know that we're going to look at this gospel-induced gratitude under five different headings. Each one will start the same way. So if you are taking notes, you can just write at the top of the page, gospel gratitude drives, dot, dot, dot. Because really, that's what we're going to see in Paul's life. His gratitude to God for the gospel drives. And we'll look at five headings. And number one, gospel gratitude drives staying on mission. Staying on mission. And this will be in verses 22, 23, 24. By the way, we're going to work through 22 to 33 this morning and come to the end of the chapter. Gospel gratitude drives staying on mission. certainly did for Paul. Look with me, if you would, at your Bible in verse 22 where he says, This is the reason, and we'll come back to what he means by this is the reason in a moment, why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Finally, I'm going to come to you. Finally, having done what Jesus Christ has commissioned me to do, And that's what we saw in the section just above this. And so it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out when he says in verse 22, this is the reason. Well, he's just explained the reason. And the reason he's, he, he hasn't been able to come for all of these years, even though they've been wanting a pastoral visit for a long time, he hasn't been able to come because Jesus Christ gave him a specific mission to proclaim the gospel where it hadn't been proclaimed, to see to it that churches are established so that there's a good foundation. And we looked at that last time when we looked at chapter 15, verse... Oh, let's look at 19 to see the connector. Second half of the verse. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. He's fulfilled what Christ has called him to do with the gospel. Then he says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Well, that's what he's referring to in chapter 15, verse 22, and he says, for, for this reason, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. By way of principle, we would say this guy, having heard from the Lord Jesus Christ what he was supposed to do uniquely as an apostle to the Gentiles, he listened. And it took precedent and the great gratitude that he showed for Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ bought him from the slave market of sin. Jesus Christ redeemed him. Jesus Christ justified him. Jesus Christ uh, is bringing about sanctification by the work of the Spirit. Jesus Christ is so worked for him. We learned in Romans 8 that he's already glorified even though he's not. 
And Paul is so grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ, even though he once opposed him and he opposed his people, that now he's willing to do whatever Jesus Christ says, no matter what. Gospel-induced gratitude has kept him on mission. I'm committed to Christ in light of what Christ has done for me, and I am going to do what he's called me to do, and nothing is going to cause me. How about this? Even good things, even good pastoral things, even things that I would want to do, I haven't done. Because of my gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ and His unique calling on my life. Think about what's going on here, and we, we don't know exactly, we're reading between the lines a little bit, but not trying to be sloppy about it. Paul's pretty close to them if he's writing from Corinth. Like really close. And it's been years now. And commentators would suggest that, that it would seem that he's belabored this point at the end as he's introduced the letter in a much similar way. Because maybe, here's where we have to say maybe because it doesn't say. But by some good logical deduction you say, maybe he's going through some of this long explanation because some people aren't too happy with him. Uh, Paul, it's been years uh, when are you going to come see us? When are you going to come talk to us? What are we, second class? We're in Rome of all places. Don't, I mean, don't you care? You get the idea he does care. You get the idea from the beginning of the letter. You get the idea from the end of the letter. He, he cares. But gratitude for, the, for, for what Christ has done for him causes him to avoid some good things, legitimately good things that he would want to do because there are things that he has to do. And by way of principle, even though none of us in this room are apostles, none of us have, have literally seen the risen Jesus, I'd want to learn from that, wouldn't you? There are times when we have to do the absolute thing because we're so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ and we are convinced that this is what He would call us to do, that we would have to say no to some other things that we would want to do, even good biblical things, even good Christian things. There's this resolve. There's this commitment. I like to see that. Because it is hard to tell people no. And it is hard to hurt people's feelings. And no doubt He seems to be sensing some of that. but he wants to stay on mission. And he seems to do just that. He seems to do just that. Why? I would suggest to you because he has such a clearly riveted, undiluted perspective on being guilty, what grace really is, undeserved favor from God being reconciled to God, all of these great things we've learned about in Romans, and so he's willing to do whatever. Devotion to Christ. Well, let's keep moving now, and let's look at another heading. Gospel gratitude drives preaching the gospel to Christians. Gospel gratitude drives preaching the gospel to Christians. Now, we're not going to see this in our chapter, but there's a marker that sends us someplace where we do see it explicitly. So why don't you go ahead and look with me, if you would, back to verse 23, where he says, And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you, 24 says. And we'll just stop there for now. 
I've been reading Romans a lot for years now, just in our time together. <laughs> but when I read that, and some of you have read Romans enough times that you're thinking the same thing. When I read him saying that, that I've longed to be with you, I've longed to see you, mentally I'm going back to chapter 1 because he talks the same way in chapter 1. So why don't you turn to chapter 1 and what he longs to do when he gets there, you've got to make sure you see this, and I might be a broken record when it comes to this, and I'm so glad. (sighs) I long to come to you. Why? Well, look at verse 15 of chapter 1. So I am eager, this longing to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Chapter 1 verse 7 calls them saints, the holy ones. These are Christians. He wants to go and be with them. Why? Because he wants to preach the gospel to them. Why? Because they're Christians? And you go, (laughs) I thought that the gospel was for for non-Christians. Well, Paul believed that. He was all about preaching the gospel to the lost, right? That's one of the reasons why he hasn't gone to see the Romans. But he's all about preaching the gospel to the found. Lost and found ministry. (laughs) I was just thinking earlier, I think that's a good code that, that maybe Molly and I will use when we're visiting a church somewhere. Is it, do they really get the profundity of the gospel? Do they really understand that the gospel isn't just the box you check and, and back, you know, when you were a sinner? You know, wink. <laughs> do, they under, do they get it? I'm going to say, do they have a lost and found here? <laughs> we do have a lost and found, by the way. But I hope our ministry reflects a lost and found ministry of the gospel, the good news about Christ's redeeming work. And Paul is so moved by the gospel. It's not just a part of his life. It's not just because he's a religious professional. Maybe then it's just for way back when. No, he's so moved by the gospel that he wants to preach the gospel to the Roman saints, to the Roman Christians. He's never going to move past it. He's never going to have this this crazy idea that I have sometimes and that we have sometimes that that's just the box where you check because the gospel is only for unbelievers. It's not his mindset. It's not his mindset at all. I get the idea that since he couldn't come, he couldn't go there, he wrote Romans. So the gospel he wanted them to know and understand is recorded for us in Romans, and that is a pretty significant, pretty detailed gospel account. Let me ask you the question, why? It really is true, unbelievers need the gospel, right? We've learned about that in Romans, and you go from being lost being found. You can use other biblical terms. You go from being the enemy of God because of sin, Romans 5, and yet through faith in Christ, you're justified, declared righteous because he's the perfect righteous one and his perfect righteousness, we learned about this, is actually credited to your spiritual bank account by faith. I mean, I need that so that I can know that I've been reconciled to God and I stand before God, yes, as a sinner, but I stand before God with the righteousness of Christ for me? So then why, question, why why do we need it? Why do we never move beyond it? Complicated answer, I suppose, in part because we forget it. In part because no wonder we have messed up Christian lives. No wonder we have problems in the church. No wonder we have problems 
all over the place, problems with our worship, problems with dealing with government, problems with dealing with, you know, those weaker Christians, not like us, wink, wink again, problems dealing with stronger Christians, problems with Christian liberty, problems, problems, problems. At the end of the day, the gospel ends up bringing everything back into alignment for us. We're reminded again and again and again that God has been gracious to save us, gracious to restore us. When we didn't deserve it, He gave it to us. And that right there, if you have that clear in your perspective, that solves a lot of issues. In one sense, it solves every issue. Right? Think about it. Think about how it brings it into perspective. I hardly slept last night. I feel grumpy. I want to lash out. I need a gospel. I need somebody to preach the gospel to me. I'll preach it to myself. I deserve to be in hell right now. Hey, hallelujah. I'm not. <laughs> and all joking aside, it really, it really is on, on that level a practical thing. Oh, medical bills. Oh, man. Taxes are due in how many days? And that silly letter I got saying I owed all that extra money. Oh. Fight with your wife. Fight with your husband. Kids don't do what they want to do. Parents don't do what you want them to do. Relationship problems, church problems, and on and on and on the list goes. How about this one for Pat, the preacher? Because I would never talk about you because it would hurt your feelings, so I'll just talk about myself, and you'll all go, yes, that's right. He is a sinner. I believe with all my heart that I've sinned enough this morning since I've been awake to go to hell maybe thousands of times. You say, what did you do? (laughs) You won't read about me on the news when you leave, I don't think. If God's standard, which has never changed, is love me with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Not to mention the second, love your neighbor as yourself. Confession time is, I've never done that ever before in my life. The way he means it. I've never loved God with perfect motives. Sincerely, absolutely, with every ounce of my being. Have you? No. Pretty radical when Jesus says, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. Uh, Yeah, you need to be perfectly righteous, keeping the law. Oh, by the way, love God perfectly all the time, perfect motives. You know, even if I could start doing it now, I've got a problem, I've got my past. And, And even though now, by God's grace, yes, declared righteous because of the merits of Christ, oh, yes, now being sanctified by the work of the Spirit because of the gospel, yes, all, there's changes happening, and I think I can love God the way now, uh, in a way now that I couldn't love Him before, yes, 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 yes still haven't arrived until I'm glorified. You know what? All the stuff starts coming into perspective. Christians, we need the gospel. That interpersonal conflict you're having with someone, you need the gospel and realize that you're totally busted and guilty before God and yet by the grace of God in Christ you stand before Him accepted in the beloved, to use biblical phraseology. That's why we call it good news. 
So we need to keep preaching, proclaiming the good news to each other. This is why, again, Paul tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David. And you see it all over the place. We need to beware of not following this example, of thinking the gospel is the check mark we checked back when we walked an aisle or whatever it might be, back when we were sinners. No, I just need you to keep reminding me. Hey, Pat, i got to tell you about something. Oh, now everything is in perspective. Okay. It's good. I hear hell's pretty hot this time of year. Uh, <laughs> I'm not under the wrath of God. I mean, you, you talk about people who, who have gone through a traumatic experience, and many have, not trying to make light of that at all. In fact, I want to use it as a good example. And they've come out on the other end successful. And sometimes... People solicit them to be a spokesperson, a spokesman or a spokeswoman for the, for, the, for the organization. That's commendable. It's good, you know, a success story. And, and they'll talk about how hard everything was. But, you know, now what? It almost seems like it doesn't matter what happens because they've got a new lease on life. If we could just borrow that illustration, we should be like those kinds of people. You know, permagrin. <laughs> but it's not the fake kind from facelifts. <laughs> I mean, it's like the real deal. We're thrilled. Paul is so thrilled about what has happened to him in his life that he finds himself never assuming the gospel, being deliberate with the gospel, and making sure Christians keep being reminded of the gospel. And that's what happens when you go from being guilty before God and you know it, and now all of a sudden you've got gospel-induced gratitude. Problems are real. Life is hard. But this is the great perspective checker for us. Let's never assume the gospel. Let's be deliberate with the gospel. Number three, gospel gratitude drives exceeding expectations. It drives exceeding expectations. Look at verse 23 uh, once again where he says, But now, since I, am no long, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions... And since I have longed for many years to come to you. So now he can go. I mean, now it's time to just walk the beach every day. Which, by the way, is a good thing. I can just be done. I did what Jesus commissioned me to do. But he's not a religious professional. He's a Christian who's experienced this. So by the way, if he were a beachcomber, he would still be all about this. He would still be all about gospel-induced gratitude, and he still wouldn't be able to keep himself from still doing gospel ministry. But there's some overachieving here because of what the gospel has done in his life. He's exceeding expectations. I think at 24, I hope to see you. Oh, yes, okay, good. Even though his job is done, his work is done, I hope to see you next week. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. <laughs> I just have to laugh. <laughs> I think it's above and beyond. I think the Romans are even potentially more offended now. <laughs> I, 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 might, I might drop by on my way somewhere else. Uh, anyway, let's keep reading. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. And to be helped on my journey there by you, we'll say more about that, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, <laughs> I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. My mind cross-references to Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ. This is who he is. 
So no matter where he was, no matter what he's doing, this is who he is. This is how his heart beats because he is a man of gratitude because he knows he's not guilty anymore. So put me wherever and I'm still going to have to be doing ministry. Did what Jesus called me to do specifically. And I'm just going to keep doing more and more and more. I want to learn from that. No matter what I happen to be doing in life, no matter what you happen to be doing in life, I want us to have this Christian perspective, not just a religious worker perspective. Which means even when we completed a task, you know what, this is who we are. We've been reconciled to God. and We're like beggars who know where to find food. We're not good necessarily, but we know where you can find hope. And so we just keep doing this. Let's move on. Number four, gospel gratitude drives forging gospel partnerships. It drives forging gospel partnerships. This is going to permeate everything he's talking about here in this text. It's all about connecting with other believers who share this like passion so they can accomplish more if they're together. Let's go ahead and start reading beginning in verse 24. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And to be helped on my journey there by you. So there's going to be a gospel partnership. I want you guys to help me out. Read, I want your money. <laughs> Even the word that he uses, you know, I, I, I want you to support me. Maybe that's going to be money. Maybe it's going to be resources of another kind. Uh, even human being resources helping him. But he's for, the gospel is what's creating these relationships. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while, 25. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. That's, again, a gospel partnership. I'll say more about that in a moment. 26, from Macedonia and Achaia, gospel partnership. We'll get to that. Have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor. Oh, now we understand maybe what he's talking about. The believers at Macedonia and Achaia are pleased to make some contribution for the poor, the poor Jerusalem, that is, among the saints at Jerusalem, 27, for they were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. We all understand how that works. They, 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 they were the people of the book. They were the, the, the children of God. They knew Yahweh. And now all of a sudden, they're, they're one in Christ. But... We can show appreciation for that. 28, when therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And we'll keep reading in a moment, but just maybe to come up for air a little bit and put some pieces together, even though I think it's pretty straightforward. I want to get you involved in gospel ministry more than you are now where you are because I want you to team with me because I'm going to go to Spain and you can help me. And since our hearts beat together, you know what it means to be guilty and you know what it means to be forgiven and grateful. And so there's a relationship there that we can do more for the greater glory of Christ than we could otherwise. There's the relationship there. But then he talks about this other unique relationship. The poor Jerusalem Christians. I take it the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And you've got the Gentiles who are in those other two locations he mentioned. How they can give to support the believers in Jerusalem. And Paul is orchestrating this and he wants to make sure. It seems that he goes to great lengths to make sure this happens. He's all about this. 
Now think about what's happening. Don't want to take big liberties, but just trying to put the pieces together historically, maybe getting a little bit of help from Hebrews. You're a Jew living in Jerusalem and you get converted and believe in Mashiach as your atoning sacrifice. This is good news for your soul. This is not necessarily very good news for you socially and economically. You're fired. By the way, we're going to have a funeral for you, perhaps. No more family functions. You're done. They're poor. And don't take it they're poor because they're lazy because Paul would say what he says in 2 Thessalonians, and if you don't work, you what? You don't eat. (laughs) It would seem, by logical deduction, they're poor because of their devotion to Christ and the gospel. So they need help. And maybe, maybe, because we certainly don't want all believing Jews leaving Jerusalem because they have good gospel impact there. How can we help keep them there in that strategic place? Perhaps. And you can see where this would be a big deal. I mean, you could see this in modern Israel where this is a big deal. I talked to a friend of a friend one time who was very good at building relationships when he lived in Los Angeles and interacting with people. It's the kind of person that could talk to anybody. And before you know it, they're going to lunch. And before you know it, they're going fishing or whatever it is. They're just friends and it provides an opportunity to preach Christ. And then he gets transplanted and he lives in Jerusalem. And doesn't know what in the world has happened because he's in total culture shock because even in modern Jerusalem, he's trying to build friendships and relationships with people and they're essentially not going anywhere in these Jewish relationships because they're so committed to their family, committed to religion and family, which is all wrapped up in the culture and it's hard to ever have any free time together other than perhaps a little time. He said, it's quite an indictment on America. (laughs) Not so much family. He said, I wish America was a little bit more like here, but I wish here was a little bit more like America for the sake of the gospel. Anyway, all of that to say, that's now. We do know historically that it would have been somewhat common at least for families to have funerals for you even though you weren't dead because you're dead to us. So Paul wants to forge this. Historically, by the way, this is important too because even think about what's happening. Sometimes uh, the, the pagan government is tolerating Christians to a certain degree, though not always, to a certain degree where it's happening because it's just a spinoff of Judaism. So what's going to be a powerful thing is where we can have Jew and Gentile who are one in Christ, Galatians chapter 3, acting like it, helping each other. The Gentiles are saying, but you guys used to call us dogs. We're the unclean rabbit animals. Pagans. Yeah, you know what? It's all done. Wall of partition separated. 
Jew and Gentile in the body of Christ. Because of the gospel, how about this? Paul wants them to be working together even though they might not want to and it might not come naturally. He wants them to be working together because to the degree that they refuse to, they don't get the gospel. Because if you get the gospel, you'll understand that Jew and Gentile is a non-issue or one in Christ. And so what is he about having experienced this in his own life as a first-class, right-wing, conservative Jew He now shows love for Gentiles because the gospel has so affected his life. He's even willing to forge these gospel relationships with them. And he's trying to help them along the way to the point where I better deliver this personally. Because the Jews might not accept the gift. We've got some learning to do here. Got some explaining to do. (laughs) Let's keep reading to to get a a little bit more of a flavor. Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. Just think about one Lord, one Spirit who indwells us, having been sent by Christ. So there is union spiritually, so there should be practically to strive together with me. That's gospel partnership verbiage like from Philippians chapter 1. In your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. There's a danger that it won't be acceptable to them and that would not be good for the health of the church and it wouldn't be good for the cause of the gospel so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen, he says. It's the great forger of ministry together. He's not calling in all of this for unity for unity's sake. He's not saying, let's get the Judaizers involved, the false teachers. No, true believers in Jerusalem who get the gospel, true believers in these other places who are Gentiles who get the gospel, we should be setting this pace together because we do ministry together in their gospel-related relationships. What does that? The gospel does that, and a right understanding of the gospel does that. I'm going to repeat it one more time and then we'll move, move on and get it wrapped up. But to the degree that we won't do this, and I'm not talking about compromising, but to the degree that we won't get along when we are Christians, the real deal, believing in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, based upon the authority of Scripture alone, to the degree that we won't do this, you've got to wonder if we really get the gospel. All right, let's go. Let's move on. Let's wrap up. Number five, gospel gratitude drives, let's put it this way, finding joy and refreshment in gospel relationships. Finding joy and refreshment in gospel relationships. I want to start with a disclaimer, a caution, a warning, a pleading. And it'll make sense in a little while. I think we as Christians should find joy and refreshment in all different ways. Today, if you're healthy to be able to do that, you're able, I hope you go and find joy and refreshment in the great gifts of God. After all, God created the world, right? We don't want to have a pagan worldview. We want to have a a believing worldview. He created the world and He didn't just say, it's good, right? Right? 
He said, it's very good. And so let's, whether we eat, drink, or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And so whether it's sport or lunch or whatever, I just want to be, I'm doing all this because I don't want us to become the first monastic order of Omaha Bible Church or something like that, okay? You don't want to, you want to be careful. Both of these things are going to be true. We enjoy the things of this world for the glory of God. He's made them good for us to say, well, they're not really good just because they can be used for bad. Just to miss it. Even what we learned about earlier in Romans in 14. But, you knew it was coming, right? But, there's this little thing called the fall. (laughs) Understatement of the universe. So if I could caution you to be like Paul and not find your ultimate joy and your ultimate satisfaction and your ultimate fulfillment in these things that are broken and these things that won't last, you'll be on to something. So what we're going to see with Paul is he is finding his ultimate joy, if you will, and he's finding his, his ultimate encouragement, capital J, joy, capital E, encouragement, in gospel-related matters, things that are going to be ending up being eternal matters. Therefore, they're relationships that are founded upon and held together by the glue of the gospel and doing gospel ministry together and gospel, gospel, gospel. That's what he's going to do. And I want you to see it there if you would. Beginning in verse 30, again, I realize we're rereading some of these verses. But he says in 30, I appeal to you, brothers. Even the brothers part is more gospel talk. He's a Jew writing to a lot of Gentiles, though not entirely. By our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me. And again, that's gospel talk if we look at to see how Paul uses that phrase. To strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed by your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen, he says. I wanted you to really focus on the statement, those two statements in 32. Come to you with joy and refreshment in your company. Pray toward this end. Pray that things go well in the gospel cause. Because you know what I want? I want to find joy in this. The things, the people are getting the gospel and therefore acting in light of what the gospel says. Therefore showing gratitude like I'm showing gratitude. And I want to find, what is the word he uses? Refreshment. This is a gospel-laden, gospel-drenched, gospel-permeated, relational kind of thing where he finds... refreshment this is good that's what he's looking forward to that's what he wants I don't know about you yesterday you walked outside right here when we've been living in like Nebraska purgatory (laughs) it's more real than the real thing (laughs) 
You go outside, it's like, I saw my wife do it. I saw you do it. I heard it. <laughs> it wasn't Mike, so it didn't sound so gross. But anyway, <laughs> you just go, yeah, this is, this is so nice. It's refreshing to air this house out. What should refresh us? It's going to last. It's a gospel kind of refreshment. It's what I get when I talk to you and you're talking to me about some sort of unique gospel ministry that you have in your life. Or all of a sudden, I'm bearing a burden to you and I'm telling you about this and before you know it, we're talking about the significance of what it means to be in Christ and how we have this in common. We have this sweet fellowship that is ultimately going to be an eternal kind of fellowship and that's where we find our, again, capital J, joy. And our capital E, encouragement. Not that we don't get the other kind. But it's not the ultimate kind. I want to be like that. I want to I have that kind of heartbeat like the Apostle Paul's that comes from gratitude. I want you to have that. I want us to have that as a church. I want to spread that as far and wide as I possibly can and have that kind of mission. I want to end with a question. And it's a trick question, kind of, sort of. I'm so excited. I feel like I'm playing t-ball. I'm just going to put the ball right up here, and I'm going to whack it. How many of you, how many of you have this gospel-induced gratitude like the Apostle Paul? Can you honestly say, that your heart beats in all things, above and beyond, overachiever. This is who I am. I've got a great gratitude because of what Christ has done for me. And you're like Paul. Now, some of you are extraordinarily spiritual and you're saying yes. So you can preach next Sunday. Because <laughs> when, I, when I, I amp it up like that, I... I, I I start getting smaller. (laughs) But the whole point of this exercise has been to know that the gratitude that we show that drives us to have a gospel-driven life is because the guilt has been taken by Christ. So here you are, perhaps, feeling guilty. The whole point is to not feel guilty. So what I'm not going to do is, okay, I've got five ways for you. Actually, I did. Let, let, me, let me deconstruct the sermon. I've got five ways for you to make sure that you live a gospel-driven life with subpoints and small groups and study guides. Lots of guilt. Don't have to. What I'm going to do is remind you and remind you and remind you and remind you again about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the key is that we would get it, but then we're going to miss it and we're going to need to re-get it again and we're going to re-get it and re-get it and re-get it that we understand how about the wrath of God Bearing down on your head, deservedly so. 
And the father not only sends his son, the son volunteers who gave himself up for us to bear the wrath. It's amazing. Not guilty. Guilty, but not guilty. I am guilty. But because of Christ's perfect righteousness credited to my account by faith, God can then fairly and justly declare me perfect even though I'm not. So I can be reconciled to God. That's why we call it gospel news. It's good news. It's great news. We need to keep preaching it to each other. We need to keep proclaiming it. That's the key to not being guilty, is knowing that you're not guilty. The key to having the gratitude that leads to you acting appropriately is understanding that Christ acted perfectly on your behalf, securing your pardon. So with that, let's pray. Father, thank you for time together like this. We forget that we're sinners. We start thinking we're just good people. And we listen to the talking heads on TV and we read the pretty books. And they just stroke our ego. And before you know it, Lord, we're, we're hard to live with. And we can't get along with each other because we deserve better. It's no wonder that Paul longed to go to the Romans and preach the gospel to them and to speak for three chapters about sin, to speak about the Roman sin, to remind them that it was while they were sinners that Christ died for them so that they could have a perspective check, so that everything could come back into realignment. And Lord, help us to continue to remind ourselves of these realities so that we would know and appreciate the perfect righteousness of Christ for us. That the good news would be truly and genuinely good news and that our lives would be filled with gratitude that causes us to live differently. Do this, God, for your name's sake and for the good and joy of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.